An investor's investor. Weird. Always thinking. Smart. Thoughtful. Unconventional. Hi, I'm John Lukumnik. Welcome to Outside In, the interdisciplinary podcast for financial professionals and anyone else who values different thinking. What does that mean? Well, we interview fascinating people from Shakespeare scholars to financial data scientists to see what the financial community can learn from non-traditional sources and from traditional sources thinking in non-traditional ways. We're breaking down the silos which too often surround the financial community. Come, listen to the sounds of those walls collapsing. Today, we're pleased to have Janine Dio as our special guest on Outside In. Janine is a key player globally in the sustainability world, a veteran of the alphabet soup of the sustainability standards setting organizations. Janine is currently special advisor to the chair of the International Sustainability Standards Board, or ISSB, at the IFRS Foundation. She previously served as the CEO of the VRF, which was formed when the IIRC merged with the SASB, for which she was also CEO. Got that? Never mind. You don't really have to know all those acronyms. What it means is that Janine is and has been a key player in the sustainable investment world, where her opinion is sought by investors, regulators, corporations, and even nations. One reason she's so respected is that her experience is grounded in decades of hands-on investing work. Janine was the chief operating officer for the California Public Employees Retirement System Investment Office. CalPERS being the largest pension fund in the United States. She held that same position for Barclays Global Investors International Global Fixed Income. And she's a 12-year veteran of the Bank of America, where her last position was Executive Vice President for Consumer E-Commerce. In other words, Janine can walk the walk with the world's largest banks and investors and talk the talk with the world's academics, regulators, and even podcasters. Welcome, Janine. Thank you, John. It's great to be here. And thank you for that introduction. <laughs> so what's your origin story? Interesting people often have had interesting lives. How did you become the person you are today? Well, I think the most interesting thing about me is that I grew up in New Orleans. And I think New Orleans tends to produce interesting people. But if we talk about, you know, from a career perspective, I started my career as an accountant and was taking a very traditional accounting career path. Uh, but about 10 years into my career, I realized that what I really liked was leading teams of people through change. And at that point, I moved into chief operating officer roles and had a lot of significant change management responsibility. But when I came to sustainability, it was when I was at CalPERS. And I think you may remember this, John, but I led the development of the investment beliefs at CalPERS, which for their time at a U.S. pension fund was really early on work about an institutional investor laying out why sustainability mattered from a risk and return perspective. And it was at that point that I became very interested in what information was needed to integrate sustainability into investment decision-making. So tell me about New Orleans. I'm a, a firm believer that places influence people. I say that as a fiercely proud New Yorker. From the outside, I can think of some ideas of how New Orleans would affect someone, but, but what is it that you say is the most interesting thing and 
How do you think it affected how you think? Well, I think it's culture. And I think the culture around food and family and music and quality of life is very, very special. And, you know, one of the things I've always been very, very interested in is sustainable agriculture. And one of the reasons for that, I think, is because I grew up in a culture that was so grounded in food and food as a way that people come together and you build community and relationships. So I think New Orleans definitely made me focused on community and relationships and the role of music and food and building community. You heard the introduction. Even for me, the alphabet soup gets a little confusing. So let's forget the past and all that. As of today, when we're recording this in late summer 2022, what is the ISSB and what's it trying to do? So you actually confused me with the alphabet <laughs> So the ISSB is the International Sustainability Standards Board. It operates under the auspices of the IFRS Foundation. And for people who know anything about accounting, standard setting, the way to think about it is that the ISSB is analogous to the International Accounting Standards Board or in the U.S., the Financial Accounting Standards Board. And both the IASB and the FASB set accounting standards uh, that govern corporate disclosure around the world. And what the ISSB is doing is establishing a global baseline of disclosure standards for sustainability information. So today we take accounting standards for, for uh, granted, but it's really the, the development of generally accepted accounting standards that enable markets to scale around the world and to function uh, around the world. And what the ISSB aims to do is something similar for sustainability information. Based on the statements made by the ISSB so far, it seems to be taking an ESG integration or outside of materiality approach. What I mean by that is it's focusing on how climate or human capital or other environmental, social, and governance factors affect a company, not necessarily what a company does to climate or other ESG factors. So the first question is whether that's accurate. And if so, why is that the best way to approach ESG standard setting? So I think it's a bit of a misnomer to frame that outside-in approach or the inside-out approach as mutually exclusive, which is what is starting to happen in discussion about standard setting. The way I think about this is what the ISSB is focused on is the intersection between sustainability impacts, so a company's impacts, external impacts, and the value of that company. So the, the ISSB is focused on what sustainability impacts the company has and how those impacts are relevant to the value, the long-term value of the company. And the reason that that's an important way to approach standard setting, and I want to be clear here, it is not the only way to approach sustainability standard setting, but it's one way to approach sustainability standard setting is that it results in information that investors can use in investment decision making because investors are trying to understand 
how sustainability impacts the value of a company and the long-term value of that company, and especially the long-term value of that company relative to other companies. So it's one approach. It's not the only approach, but it is an important piece. And we often use this language building block. It's an important piece of a comprehensive corporate disclosure system. I wonder if there isn't a growing structural disconnect between the focus on enterprise value, which is what you've just described, and individual company disclosure and the informational needs of investors and societies. And I say that because capital markets have evolved since that paradigm was created. Um, even in 1988, when the U.S. Supreme Court defined materialities, the markets were largely individuals or institutions making a decision, but mostly individuals making a decision to invest in one or a few companies. Today, more than 80% of the investment in the United States stock market comes from institutions, and it's roughly the same around the world. And those investments are made through diversified prepackaged products like mutual funds or ETFs. As a result, the typical investor is more concerned with the overall market than anyone, the enterprise value of any one specific company or value of a security. And that sort of makes sense because, you know, the studies say that 75% to 94% of the variability return is caused by market level, non-diversifiable systemic risks, which is why investors are increasingly concerned with sort of the inside out materiality. How does an issuer affect the overall market, whether it's greenhouse gas emissions or whatever? And, and honestly, I don't know how to square that circle, but maybe you do. How can international standard centers resolve the need for information about systemic risk issues with a disclosure regime that focuses on enterprise value of specific issuers? I think that's a fantastic question, John. And I, I actually don't have the perfect answer to that because I think it is a very interesting and evolving question about our disclosure regime. I think a couple of things. One, um, there are still a lot of active managers who active investment managers who are actively selecting securities and who are making decisions to invest in company A or company B. And that's true not only in the public markets, that's absolutely true in the private markets, which as you know, are a rapidly, rapidly growing segment of the total market. So I think there is and always will be a need for company level information which is what our current disclosure regime is largely built around. Now, the second question then is, there is, without a doubt, also a need for system-level information. Where does that come from? My personal opinion is that is actually the role of regulators, not standard setters. That the current accounting disclosure regime is built around companies making decisions about what information is relevant to the company and and that that's how the accounting disclosure regime is built so the question is um what part of the system fulfills that overall systems level disclosure need and i think that's the role of regulators because regulators 
generally have the power to compel disclosure by all companies. Not always, but generally have the power to compel disclosure by all companies. So that that's the way I think about it. So, for instance, the SEC climate disclosure proposal, as opposed to saying in the United States, FASB or whatever, FASB doesn't have an equivalent of the ISSB. But, but let, let me just ask a question. Couldn't that, the, the fact that financial accounting standard setters have always been focused on um, corporate-specific disclosures that affect the company, but they're still a construct, right? I mean, they're not descended from outside on two tablets. They are human constructs. Couldn't the new sustainability standards board take a different approach, which is, as you say, we need the enterprise value, but in addition, we need um, some sort of disclosure around two or three systemically important things, such as greenhouse gas emission? And yeah, why- I think... Yeah. Why couldn't that be the next building block to use that phrase? It could be. And I think that's a very, very interesting question. So the the question is, I think that's the big philosophical question. Who fills the gap for the need for this systemically important information? And, And is that gap solved through regulators or is it solved through an evolution of the role of accounting standard setters? I think that's an open question. I just and this is just my personal opinion. I think right now the the people who have the typically have the authority to be able to do that are in fact regulators. So I think Jot, the way I'm thinking about this is passive lease resistance, perhaps, <laughs> to achieve what what you're aiming to achieve around systemic risk information. Let's bring this back to practicality and investing. We have lots of financial advisors, registered investment advisors, and institutional investors who listen to the podcast. So if you were back at Barclays or CalPERS, how would you approach the question of ESG investing? Where would you allocate resources? I'd come back to first principles, and I would allocate resources back to understanding the impacts of sustainability on enterprise value at the individual company or sector level, because sector allocation decisions are a big deal, right? And understanding the the impact that sustainability uh, issues, whether it's climate, whether it's human capital, whether it's product packaging, Understanding the impact that sustainability issues have at the sector level, I think, is very important. And then trying to then understand uh, and build rigorous processes to integrate those sustainability um, issues into your investment decision making across both public and private asset classes and equity and debt and trying to develop consistent processes across the entire organization. So. That's where I would focus my time. The second thing, John, and I think this particularly for large asset owners, I do think there is a public policy aspect because back to your point about systemic risk, and you know as well as I do that, that most of the return does in fact come from whatever that market or beta return is. What are public policy efforts that do influence 
the resilience and sustainability of market returns. And I think there is an important public policy aspect. No discussion of sustainability or ESG today could be complete without a discussion of backlash from the left and the right. Harvard and Oxford professor Bob Eccles calls critics on the left, and I quote, the ESG Taliban, end quote, because no nothing is ever pure enough or good enough. He calls the critics on the right ESG flat earthers because they want to ignore the evolution of knowledge about how non-financial factors affect capitalism society. I should say non-financial statement factors because I believe these are financial. People in the middle tend to just dismiss both sides. But are there any kernels of validity in those critiques, whether from the left or the right or both? Well, one of my most respected college professors once said to me that, you know, most critiques have some kernels of truth in them. So it's always important to peel the onion and really understand uh, the perspectives of people who are criticizing you. So so I'm sure there are there are kernels in both of those views, but I think they're just that kernels. I think what's really crucial here to unite all sides of this conversation, John, is to come back to risk and return. If you're talking in a context of investing, because the one thing that unites all investors is the desire to earn a return at an appropriate level of risk. And so for me, the way you link all of these opposing views together is you come back to the question of how do sustainability factors impact risk and return at either the company or the sector level, or to your point, at the systems level. And that is the entire purpose, in my mind, of why we need to focus on better sustainability information so that you can have that fact-based risk and return conversation. Let's move away from ISSB and ESG generally. You have some uh, interesting and rather broad affiliations, ranging from something called blockchain co-investors to the Marin County Land Trust. Is there any unifying theme or interest or purpose to your charitable and professional activities? There's definitely a unifying theme. I made a very conscious decision probably seven or eight years ago to try to spend all of my time broadly, whether it was my work life or my charitable life or my board life, uh, and on sustainability broadly defined. Um, and so I do try to prioritize my time uh, around organizations focused on sustainability in some way. So what is blockchain co-investors and how is that Related to sustainability. Yeah, so that's a great question. And I I think of it through the lens of what impact can new technologies have? Um, and obviously blockchain technologies are are going to have huge impact on our society. And so is there a role they can play in solving some of our sustainability problems, particularly around things like supply chains? What's exciting to you right now? What are you passionate about and why? I'm most passionate about sustainable agriculture and food and comes back to what we were talking about, about community and food and uh, 
how our food systems need to evolve in the face of climate change, and particularly living in California, which provides such a significant amount of U.S. fruits, vegetables, and what impact drought and uh, water availability and pricing will have on the availability and price of food, and how do our food systems need to evolve? Have you seen any examples of really advanced solutions to any aspect of that that you care to share? Definitely the question about how to produce food in a less water-intensive way. Um, and I do think one of my affiliations, John, that you didn't mention is I'm on the board of, of Equilibrium Capital, um, which is raises funds for, you know, large-scale controlled environment agriculture. And can you produce food in a uh, less water-intensive and less energy-intensive way? So I think, and, and particularly less reliant on transportation, and can you, can you locate food production closer to population centers? So I, I do think how the food system evolves is one of our most significant challenges right now. I am a foodie, so I have to ask this. Do you cook? I do cook. I love to cook. I don't cook enough, but I love to cook. Yeah. Any particular specialties or things you love to eat? make uh, and eat? Yes. I love to cook turkey gumbo every year after Thanksgiving. That is a big, big tradition of mine. I expected air freight shipment. Uh, <laughs> Let's finish with some short questions and answers. How do you relax? Reading or walking. What are you reading right now? I am reading David Sedaris's new book, uh, Happy Go Lucky. Yeah. What music do you listen to? Jazz. <laughs> there are lots of different forms of jazz, as you know, coming from New Orleans. Any, any particular style of jazz? You know, not really. I love, I love it all. I mean, I love traditional New Orleans kind of um, rhythm and blues type jazz. And then I love Miles Davis. So I, I like a very broad variety of jazz music. If you could be on vacation right now, where would it be? Italy. What part and why? I love Florence because I love the art. I love Venice because of the history. Uh, I love Rome. So I, I love pretty much everywhere in Italy. Last question. If you could magically speak into everyone's ear, what would you tell them? Right now, I would tell people to really focus on protecting our democracy uh, in a U.S. context or actually globally because I think it's really necessary to help solve all of the other challenges we face. Thank you. Our special guest on Outside In today has been Janine Guillaume, very practical as well as high-level understanding of what needs to be done to have adequate disclosure, standardized, comparable, hopefully verified in the sustainability space in order, as she says, to bring it all back to risk and return for investors so that we can adequately allocate capital and hopefully save the world while making some money. So thank you, Janine. Thank you. 
You've been listening to Spark Network's Outside In with John Lukonik, the interdisciplinary podcast for financial professionals. Outside In is produced by Connor O'Higgisa, John Lukumnik executive producer. It is available from Apple, Spotify, Google, and wherever you get your podcasts. Please remember to subscribe, leave us a review, follow us on social media. Thanks much for listening.